first reading from tonight is taken from Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 20b and finishing at verse 25. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Second reading is Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The third reading is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 33. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And the final reading is taken from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Thank you, Sarah, very much. Let's pray together. Father, we we pray this evening that you would uh, instruct us from your word and help us to know how we should respond for Jesus' sake. Amen. That's what we're looking at tonight. Identity, the third in our series, and who can I marry? Now, I'm very well aware that this evening uh, could be difficult, personally quite difficult. Uh, Maybe we have family and friends who are uh, perhaps in gay relationships and in 
intend to marry. Uh, and those people could be a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, uh, some very close friends. Uh, and maybe they're in that situation. Or maybe you're gay and you want to know what the Bible teaches about gay marriage. And in 25 minutes, say, or so, something like that, uh, you may find yourself disagreeing with what has been said, or you may be wanting to disagree because you've got work colleagues, say, who are, are gay and want to get married, or maybe are married, and uh, it's all very complicated. And may I say that I've been praying that this evening, um, on the one hand, I would be as gentle as I can be, uh, and at the same time, uh, do my best to communicate well and clearly, I trust, what I believe the Bible says about marriage and gay marriage. The lesbian and gay Christian movement has said this, it is entirely compatible with the Christian faith not only to love another person of the same sex, but also to express that love fully in a personal sexual relationship. And they've also said gay marriage and homosexual partnerships are, I quote, two equally valid alternatives. So it's not only is the world around us accepting gay marriage. The first uh, uh, gay marriage uh, happened in Australia just this last month. And uh, here are the couple. That's um, Craig Burns and Luke Sullivan, who got married on the 9th of January. I was quite surprised, actually. Australia is the 25th country in the world to uh, allow a gay marriage. Uh, I thought it would be far more than that, but... Uh, um, but there we are. So that was uh, just last month in Australia, just after midnight on the day it was allowed. And uh, uh, the interesting thing is um, that it is not just in the world, but it is also uh, it is within the Christian church where things are changing. So, for instance, in the States in 2015, the Episcopal Church of the United States changed its canons, that's the church laws, to remove the definition of marriage as being between a man and a woman, and they authorized a marriage service for all, including same-sex couples. In June 2016, the Synod of the Scottish Episcopal Church voted to initiate the process of removing from its canons, those laws of the church, the doctrinal statement that marriage is the union of one man and one woman. So who can I marry? Who would it be right for me to marry? Well, in answering the question, I want to say I'm a Bible Christian. I, uh, we're a Bible church, so we go to the Bible and we seek to understand what the Bible says about marriage and same-sex marriage. Um, and I, from the beginning, I want to say I believe the Bible is absolutely clear and it doesn't leave us any room for debate or negotiation in terms of what it says there is room for discussion on how we respond. That's the third point on our, uh, our orders of service on the back here uh, in terms of how we apply the teaching of the Bible and uh, how we uh, talk and communicate that and so on. Um, but I believe that what the Bible says, God says. And what the Bible says, it's God's word. And I believe it's absolutely crystal clear on this matter. So let's go to the Bible. What is marriage, is the first point. What is marriage? First thing to say, uh, it is God's plan. I think it's really striking. The Bible begins with a marriage, and it ends 
with a marriage. And the first is a trailer for the second. In the Bible, human marriage is a trailer for and a picture of the marriage at the end of the world. As Christ is united with his bride, that is the church, in other words, all Christian people. And in my mind, that picture makes marriage profound on a whole new level and sacred and something the significance of which my guess is most people haven't even begun to imagine whether they're Christians or not believers. God has made us social creatures with a capacity to love and a capacity to be loved. And as we turn to the Bible, we see that in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, there are two complementary accounts of creation. In Genesis 1.27, we see that God created human beings, male and female. And then in chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, No suitable helper for Adam is found. That is in the animal kingdom, just on our first reading there. That's from the animal kingdom. And so God creates Eve as a complement and a counterpart for Adam. So they can work together in a perfect partnership of equals. One of the Bible commentators from the Victorian time said this, Woman is not made out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet, to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And then God brings the woman to the man, and you see in verse 23 there of Genesis 2, it is the first love poem. And uh, I think it's lovely. The man says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And uh, uh, it's actually, um, it's more a case of, there, there's a sense of what he's actually saying is this, this, this. It's, it's almost a kind of, wow, wow, it's amazing. Uh, as Eve comes to him there. Um, and, that, and then it goes on to verse 24, which is that definition of marriage, which is the most quoted verse in the Old Testament in the New Testament. Jesus quoted it. Uh, he quoted it, for instance, in Matthew 19, verse 5. And it still stands. What you see there in Genesis 2:24 is also Jesus' definition of marriage. A man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So a man and a woman, two individuals of opposite sexes, leaving in a public social occasion and uh, having a permanent uniting or literally a gluing at a deep and profound and personal level of their being, which implies a passion for each other and a permanence in what they've done. And then, as it says, and they became, become one flesh. And, uh, and that, well, yes, it is sex, but notice first, it is passive. 
And making love is not a passive thing, is it? So what this one flesh means is, it's something that has happened to you. This becoming one flesh of husband and wife is something that happens to the husband and wife and is then consummated when they make love uh, on their wedding day. Sex is an outward sign of what has happened to you at a deep and profound and personal level of your being when you get married. Because a deep and profound union is formed when you get married. And Jesus endorses that. In Matthew 19 and verse uh, 6, he says this, So they're no longer two, but one flesh, because what God has joined together, let no one separate. And in the Church of England marriage service, after a couple of marrieds, um, it always happens here, and I explain what it means, and I say, uh, at this point in the service in the Church of England, we ask the, couple to jo- the couples to join their right hand together, and the minister places his uh, uh, right hand over the top of theirs to indicate, to show as a picture of the fact that God is joining these two people together. And I'm going to say these words of Jesus, which are both a proclamation and also a warning. I say, let those whom God has joined together, let no one separate. And that's quoting Jesus' words from uh, Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10. So as Jesus endorses that, he tells us that sexual difference is a divine creation. He tells us that uh, uh, the appointment of sex in marriage is a divine institution. And he tells us that the opportunity for sexual fidelity, for commitment to each other, is a divine intention. And I very firmly believe that same-sex marriage or a partnership breaches all those. John Stott said this, it's in that book that I showed you earlier. Scripture endorses no other kind of marriage, nor sexual intercourse, For God provided no alternative. Now, Genesis says, Jesus says, that marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, of course, no one would deny, I hope no sensible person would would deny that gay people can love each other. Nor should we deny that straight people can fail to love each other. And we also need to remember very clearly that we are all of us, every single one of us, is broken in our sexuality. And that every single one of us is attracted to other people or other things in ways which are less uh, than God's ideal for us. And that's unhelpful to our Christian walk. In a sense... It is true that we are all skewed in one way or another. So tonight, please understand me, I'm not pointing the finger at gay people in the slightest, for we're all mucked up sexually. Every single one of us. I am, you are, we all are. But I want to make it clear that God's intention for marriage is a lifelong covenant commitment of one man to one woman that's God's plan second God's provision the whole idea of a helper is to provide Adam and Eve's uh, Adam and Eve's needs 
And the divine institution of marriage is a, is a wonderful gift to mankind. But at this point, you could easily be thinking, uh, well, Phil, you've just condemned gay people to a life of loneliness and frustration. No, not at all. Not at all. Our world says you are your sexuality. So we need to go back a step. Our world says you are your sexuality. We've learned last week that's not true. You're not your sexuality. You are a creation of God's. If you haven't listened to last week's sermon as I preached on this, please go back and listen to that. And if you're a Christian, not just a creation of God, you're a child of God's. And the world around us says that there's so much of the world around us says, not not everyone, but that, uh, that if you're not sexually fulfilled, life isn't worth living. But the book of Genesis and Jesus uh, restrict sex to marriage and both say that sex is not the key to fulfillment. You can be completely fulfilled as a person and never have had sex in your life. We believe, don't we, that Jesus was the most complete, the most fulfilled man who ever lived. And he died a virgin. See, the the key to fulfillment is, is not about fulfilling our sexual desires, because they're not the core of who we are. The key to fulfillment lies with Jesus. I mean, he said in uh, John 6.35, I'm the bread of life. In other words, I'm the staple to life. And look, no earthly relationship, even marriage, will make life complete. And if you think it does, then you'll have a very hard time being married because you will be a very hard person to be married to because you'll be setting such high standards and expectations on your husband or your wife. There's only one relationship that makes life complete. Just one. And it is a relationship with Jesus as your Lord. Beginning now, perfected in heaven. And that's for everyone, straight, gay, whatever. So marriage is God's plan. It's God's provision. But God's provision goes even beyond marriage to the very person of our Lord Jesus. And then third, marriage is God's picture. And that's Ephesians 5 on our sheets there in Revelation 21. Human marriage is a picture, a visual aid for the big thing that God is doing in the world. And when we see a married couple, Christian people are meant to think that's a picture of the church, that's all Christian people, and Jesus. And the Revelation 21 reading in particular is saying, that's me and Jesus when I get to heaven. The church is the bride. Jesus is the groom. And I, uh, I love officiating at weddings. I really look forward to weddings. And, uh, and for me, I think the highlight, I mean, I've got the great joy of standing here when the bride's coming down the aisle. And, uh, and the groom is just standing down here. And, uh, <clears throat> and I think weddings are a great thing because uh, they're a wonderful God-given reminder of the glorious end of the world. As the bride, the Christian church, you and me, if you're Christians, 
comes down to meet her groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful and a moving picture of our future. The groom is there. Jesus is there as the bride comes to meet her groom. And so in Revelation here, you see, it's a picture of heaven. Jesus and his people living together. Now, a lot of people don't see that. It took me yonks as a Christian before I saw and understood that and saw how wonderful it is. And I'm sure the vast, vast majority of people in this world do not see marriage as a picture of the relationship between Jesus and us. And especially of the picture, the relationship, as it will be when Jesus returns and we meet Jesus. And the beginning of our eternal reign with him in heaven. I'm sure the vast majority of people have no idea of the picture that marriage is. Marriage is God's plan, God's provision, and God's picture. So second thing is, what is same-sex marriage? Well, the the marriage bracket Same-Sex Couples Act was passed in 2013. Uh, So same-sex marriage is a legal marriage here in the UK. But is it marriage as God has defined it? Well, my answer is, no, it's not. I can't see how it could be. And I think it's best for Christian people to see it, first of all, as a rebellion. The dominant worldview of our age is radical individualism, where I decide what is right or wrong. And this extraordinary focus on me being at the center of my universe has led to some extraordinary things. Like... People marrying themselves. Now you might find that extraordinary, but apparently it it does happen, uh, and has happened really quite a number of times. Personally, I think that's quite bizarre. Now, it's not a legal thing. It's not any sort of marriage at all. But uh, here's uh, Laura Messi, or M-E-S-I, I I don't know quite how you pronounce her surname. Uh, That was on the BBC website on the 22nd of December last year. And here she is getting, in quotes, married to herself and even more bizarrely in my mind her friends going along and celebrating with her anyway i'm sure there are things i don't understand about this but uh, i just wonder it's it's just oh, i find it extraordinary but you see our radical individualism means that we make up the rules which means we can change the rules to suit ourselves which means i can decide i might like to marry myself Well, we've changed God's rules about marriage. It is a rebellion. And I think it is striking when you look at Genesis chapter 3 and Adam and Eve and the world going wrong. It's really quite scary. Because there is an extraordinarily parallel between Genesis chapter 3 and what we have done in terms of redefining marriage. It is very, very close just exactly to Genesis chapter 3. So, let me show you. For instance, um, uh, first of all, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? There is doubting of what God has said. Then, secondly, we redefine what God has said. 
So did God really say you must not eat tree from any tree in the garden? It's not only doubting it, but that last sentence, you must not eat from any tree in the garden, that's not actually what God said. If you go back to Genesis 2 and 17, God said don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So let's actually redefine what God has said. And in third, it misquotes God. So you look at verse 3. Did God say you must not eat fruit from the trees in the middle of the garden? And you must not touch it or you will die? That's not actually what God said. And then it goes on fourth to contradict what God said. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman. But actually God said, you will certainly die. I find that quite chilling. As we have redefined marriage, it follows almost exactly the same pattern. Doubting God, redefining what God has said, misquoting God and contradicting God. It's basically saying we know better. We know better than God. And that's rebellion, isn't it? And that is the essence of sin. And rebellion has consequences. We divorce ourselves from the Lord of life, and life itself, as God intended, becomes unbelievable. So people will say, you know, as they have divorced themselves from the Lord of life, they would say, well, of course, you must have sex to have a fulfilled life. I can't believe that you can have a fulfilled life and be single and be, not be active sexually, for instance. You know, I can't believe that two people who are virgins and in their mid-twenties can get married these days. And, uh, you know, the, the bride wearing a white dress actually means what it signifies. I haven't yet had sex, but I will tonight for the first time with my husband who has also never had sex. People don't believe that actually happens. But when you tell them, they think it's lovely. Extraordinary, isn't it? There is something, though, I think, for me which is far more painful, and it's this. It's a defacing. Now, I explained that in Ephesians chapter 5 and Revelation 21 that marriage is a picture of uh, the relationship of Christ and his church. So Ephesians 5.32, profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And for me, if same-sex marriage was just a rebellion against God then I would find it easier to cope with. But it isn't just a rebellion against God. For me, it's, it's worse. It's much worse. It's a defacing of God's picture for Christ and his church, for you and for me. I mean, God has given us a wonderful picture of you and me meeting Jesus and being in heaven with him. This marriage of the bride and the groom. And for me, I'm very sorry, but same-sex marriage defaces that picture. I find it an affront to something I find profoundly precious. I find it an offence against the greatest hope of my life. And I find it strikes at the very heart 
of my faith. Now, I'm sure there'll be... um, I'm sure there'll be many people who would say, Phil Moon, you don't like same-sex marriage because you're just homophobic. Well, I honestly don't believe I am. My difficulty with same-sex marriage is, yes, it's a rebellion against God. I can cope with that because we all rebel against God in all sorts of ways. But far more difficult for me personally is that this is something which I guessed most people, including Christians, have never even thought of. And this defacing of one of the best and most profound pictures in the history of the world makes me profoundly sad. So what should we do? Well, what should we do? First, love. Well, of course we love people. Of course we love people. If you're gay, if you have a partner of any sort, please hear this. God loves you. We love you. You are welcome here. I just, uh, this week, um, I had a couple of long train journeys, and uh, on one of them I read this book, Messy Grace. It's a really good book, actually. It's a story about a guy... Caleb Keltenbach, he is American, and, uh, uh, and it just says on the front, how a pastor with gay parents learned to love others without sacrificing conviction. His mum and dad had Caleb, uh, and then they divorced, and his mum uh, moved in with uh, a lesbian, he another, another lesbian, and then later his dad came out as gay, and this is a story of how he coped with that and how he loved them. It's a great story. I really recommend this. Perhaps we'll get some for next week, and then we can reduce the price that's on the back of this one as well. So, uh, but that's messy grace. If anyone wants to take this, you're very welcome to take that and read it. Just um, uh, ask me later on. But we want to love people, fundamentally love people, at a deep level. Much more we could say about that. We need to pray. Our world, our church is moving against God. Of course, we must pray. And we need to prepare. Prepare what you might say, for instance, if a friend invited you, say, you know, we're going to get married. We'd like to come. What would you say? Do you know what you'd say? Would you go? What would you say? And so on. Prepare what you might do if the Church of England say allowed blessings of same-sex marriages or the clergy to carry them out. Prepare for what we must do as a church now. Because... A life without marriage and sex is not a life of loneliness and without intimacy. The Bible says we must be a family to others. You can live without sex, but you can't live without intimacy. Because we're made for it. And we need to develop deep friendships with each other. And we need to involve, I believe, we need to involve single people in our families. They could be single people for whatever reason. Straight, gay, lesbian, widowed, divorced, whatever. But I think we need to be much, you know, much more prepared 
to adopt single people into our family life. That means your family life. I mean, your family could be a family for someone here who's never had one. Would you adopt a single person into your family? Would you be prepared for them to come round at any time to help out with bath time? Would you be prepared for them to come on holiday with you year after year after year as a matter of course? First, it might be costly. There would need to be changes. But single people in our church, for them, it could be just wonderful news. Adopt a granny who is single. Adopt a young man who is single. Adopt someone who's never had the opportunity to marry. Adopt someone who you know is a gay or a lesbian person. Involve them in your family, just doing the stuff you do. Love them. That's what we're about. And one final thing. Whoever you are, we love you. And God loves you. And there is no need to walk alone in this. So please don't carry your burdens alone. We are all strugglers. Every single one of us. And we're here to help each other. Because we love each other. Let's pray. Father, so much more to be said, to be discussed, and to honestly and lovingly, gently talk about with each other. And uh, I believe so much of this is not so much the understanding of your word, but what we would be willing to do about it. And we pray, Father, you would speak to our hearts and help us to respond, we pray, with love and compassion and obedience. For Jesus' sake. Amen.